0: Hi everyone, it's Laura from the Triple Win Property Management Podcast. In today's episode, you'll hear from two titans in the industry, Phil Owen, CEO of Onsite Pros and Gwen Aspen, the CEO of Anaquim. They'll discuss a timely topic, how to manage change from the busy summer season to the slower fall and winter months and create triple wins for you and your business. Tune in to learn common challenges and tips to capitalize on your wins so you can improve operations before the next busy season. Enjoy.
1: Property management professionals, welcome to another edition of the Triple Win Podcast where we uncover the wins that intersect at the crossroads of tenants, landlords, and property managers. I'm Phil Owen, your host for today's conversation. And in this episode, we'll be exploring a shift in seasons, not the weather, but the seasons of property management. A client once told me that property management has two real seasons, chaos season and improvement season. With summer comes the chaos season. School is out, tenants are being evaluated for renewal, turns are happening, Properties are being listed, tenants are being screened, vacancies being filled. This creates a lot of pressure on property managers with so many things happening at once. But after the summer comes improvement season. This is a time for property managers to take a breath, gather their thoughts, analyze what went well and what went poorly, and figure out how to improve their business before the next chaos season so that it'll be a little less chaotic than the one before. But here's the thing. There's a way to tame the chaos a way to turn the madness into a symphony of predictability. And that is what today's episode is all about. So now, as the air clears and the pace steadies, let's wade together into the waters known as improvement season. And I can't imagine a better place for us to begin improvement season than with our guest and topic today. Uh, joining us is a visionary leader in the world of remote work and process management, Gwen Aspen, the brains behind Anaquim And we are going to be diving into the art of not just creating and managing processes, but mastering those internal gears that keep your property management machine ticking. And let's be honest, when you're on that grind, when you're in the middle of all the thick of it, predictable outcomes sound like a far away dream, right? Well, today we're gonna help make dreams come true. Gwen Aspen, welcome to Triple Win.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, thank you for taking your time and giving of your expertise. Uh, you are a well-known uh, process nerd in the industry. And I say that uh, in the most loving way possible. Uh, oh, I take
2: it that way. Uh, I love term the process and the procedures. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Gwen, let's start by setting the stage. Uh, we've just come out of uh, what we've called here the chaos season. Uh, could you share your thoughts on the challenges that property managers face during this time and uh, the need for reflection afterwards?
2: Oh my gosh! I just want to say, you know, I almost want to give everybody like a hug because it was—it's always so hard going through the summer. Um, I know with our property management company, we had around sixty turns in the month of July. And um, it was just really, really hard. And so this is kind of the time where you can say, all right, let's reverse engineer or or just engineer this so that we get the outcomes that we want so that our people uh, have a summer to even enjoy and we can maintain and keep our best and brightest employed at our businesses and make it less painful because it just really is hard when you have that amount of work to do in the summer months.
1: So that's the crazy thing about this business is, I mean, it's not like there's ever really a slow season, right? I mean, no. it, that's just not going to happen here, but we really do compact so much into that summer. Is it even possible to strive for a less chaotic busy season? I mean, is that, is that attainable? Uh, and is it realistic to expect that the effort put into process improvement, uh, can actually yield a smoother experience in, in the next turnaround.
2: I, I know it seems impossible for people who've just lived through the trauma of, <laughs> of chaos season, but absolutely. So here's the way I look at it. If you have a predictable process and you have a vision for how you want your, your tenants to feel when they move in and you know what you want that to look like, if you can make it look like that 98% of the time and not have the fires that make us crazy, you actually save yourself probably 10 times the work. Because if you if you reflect back on things that didn't go well, like let's say you had a move-in and it was a complete disaster from doors not closing, from it being dirty, from not having fire alarms in the house that were operatable. This creates a situation where your tenant believes you're a terrible company and then you get the pile on effect. So then they drive your people crazy because anytime anything bad happens, they make it a catastrophe. And the stress of people yelling at you already coming into a conversation thinking you're terrible makes everyone so much more stressed out. So if you can make that turn pot, or I'm sorry, that move in a positive experience, and you don't have that pile-on effect, it actually makes you so much more efficient. So the real goal is to make sure that those outcomes are what you want them to be, right on the move-in, right on the front end, a great tenant experience so that the workload is far less than it would be otherwise. And your people, if they're not dealing with mean, yelling, yelling, stressful tenants, they're going to like their job better, and they're going to even do a better job because they're not like exhausted when they come in. Mm. So it's just trying to, to prevent that from happening. And we can do that by having amazing processes and procedures that we actually use, and then using those processes and procedures, when we have a problem going back to them to make sure that we get that predictable outcome we want
1: but and and I want to I want to camp there for a second uh but before we do I want to go back and and just grab onto something because this is what I love about about having conversations with Gwen is that like you just drop these nuggets that to you are like yeah that's just a thing I said uh but like there's so much richness and depth that we're like we just need to take and be able to just chew on for a minute you said something that I love predictable processes lead to predictable outcomes a- a- and to some that might sound like uh, a boring thing, but when you sit and listen and marinate on that, like there is peace in that. Like there is, there's something in that. Uh, that's just such a rich. So you, you, you mentioned that, that idea, predictable processes lead to predictable outcomes. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Uh, and, and how it can impact property management businesses, especially in terms of being able to scale without just overwhelming your staff? Because uh, we've all we've all felt that. Things start to ramp up and then your staff burns out. You lose a staff member or two because they got burned out. Like It, it becomes a cycle of violence, right? Talk oh, about that and, and how that plays.
2: That's so true. People, especially in the competitive labor environment, they're just not going to put up with the chaos of property management, which compounds the problem. So we do have to make sure people are happy. But I think it starts with vision. So as a property management company owner, what is your vision for your tenant experience and your owner experience? Um because the turns can be really hard on the owners as well, if, especially if you're asking for big outlays of cash to turn those units over. So what is what is the expectation that you want? And start there and set that vision for your team. Then work your way backwards on how you're going to predictably get that particular outcome. And you do that through processes and procedures. And I know it's nerdy, you guys, but I promise um, this is why Like everybody hates to write them, hates to work on them. But if you keep your eye on the prize, the vision is predictability. Predictable outcomes where people aren't yelling at you. It can give you the motivation to get those written. But I think our industry stops at writing them and stops talking, doesn't talk about the using them and what that really looks like in the day to day process. So if you have all your procedures written down in a way that people can understand them, then if you can hold people accountable to those, by having kind of like a list of the problems that occurred that week and doing a root cause analysis of why this problem occurred and going back to those written procedures, go back to training the people doing those procedures, you're going to have more predictable outcomes and less chaos and a happier July.
1: I, I do hope, uh, and it does sound nerdy in, in the best <laughs> possible way, but I, I hope that they actually title this episode Talk nerdy to me process edition. Like that's, that, that's what this, this whole conversation, uh, should be themed. So you you highlighted a, a, an interesting secondary beneficial, uh, benefit, uh, of predictable results resulting in a drama free environment, resulting in, in higher self esteem. That's an interesting, like you, (laughs) not many people think about. What processes can I put to raise my self-esteem uh, like that's a that's an unexpected outcome? Can you can you delve a little bit into how these factors tie into a self-reinforcing cycle of, of no drama?
2: Well, OK, so I'm going to talk about like a specific instance of drama that just is like seared into my memory. There was this woman who had just a terrible move in. It always starts with the bad move in. Can we all, I mean, I don't know if we could all agree on that, but I feel very strongly about this. So she had a terrible move in. She was sure we were terrible. And we got a midnight call, which by the way, when you get midnight calls, if you're outsourcing that, it costs more, you know, it's it's expensive to get those. And I listened to the recording of her screaming at the person on the other end of the phone saying that we changed the locks and didn't tell her. Now, the truth was she was just drunk and couldn't get her key to work. Right. <laughs> but so this is such a, a this was such a moment for me that that seared into my mind that we had to have a predictable process of move-ins because we're paying extra for this call to happen. She's screaming at the person, stressing them out, making them want to quit. It's her fault. But she was sure it was our fault because we hadn't given her the confidence in our company. Right. And so so anyway, I think I played this for everybody at the company, like at a meeting and I'm like, this is what we don't want. Like, let's we don't have to have this. If we just have a great move in experience, this would never happen. She would never have that pile on effect. So I think when we, sh- when we demonstrate with our teams, we play that recording of the person just going crazy on one of our team members. When we show them, like, we don't need this. We don't need to do this. So when I'm asking you to perfect your procedure, when I'm asking you to dig into this software and get the wizard to create the lease, in a way that you just have to press buttons. You don't have to think about it. What I'm asking you to do that. What I'm really asking is that this doesn't happen next summer. I just, I, we can't do this anymore. And so if you, if you connect the emotional impact with what you're asking your team to do, to really care about the processes and procedures, we have gotten more buy-in from the team, everybody on the same page. And gotten people to do things that before they were kind of like not excited about.
1: I love that. Like tying it into how does this affect you? How does this feel? Like but because process and procedure feels like such an emotion emotionless, lifeless thing. Like when you talk about process and procedure like the five people who are going to listen to this episode because it's about processes and procedures, right? Like it sounds like the most dull, boring, but when you tie it back to the visceral experience, when you tie it back to the human experience and how this can impact your life uh, and how it can impact your, not just your job, but let's be honest, none of us get to leave the office and leave all the stress there. We carry that home with us. And so when, when you have those predictable processes that result in predictable outcomes and it lowers your stress, it lowers the, the, the negative hormones in your body. All aspects of your life are positively impacted by that. That's, that's great. I love that. I love the human element.
2: One other experience that I think a lot of people might, uh, might agree with is in property management, a lot of the week, like Monday through Wednesday, if you don't have good processes and procedures or you're not utilizing them Monday through Wednesday is like investigating what went wrong on the weekends. You know, it's like, you don't yeah. get anything productive done Monday through Wednesday. Cause you're just like digging into what, what digging happened. Out. Why are they yeah. mad? Let me look at the notes. Let me talk to the vendor, yada, yada, yada.
1: It's never the vendor's fault. Just to be <laughs> clear. I, I just want to speak on behalf of my fellow okay. vendors. It's not the vendor's fault. Uh Just kidding.
2: So you know, think about how much time you would save and how much happier staff would be if you didn't have to be investigators Monday through Wednesday. And so whenever we can kind of put it in terms that our our employees are like, oh my gosh, I'm a hundred percent behind this. And then when you're asking them to do the hard work of like, let's write a report. So, and here's a little nerdy tip here, but whenever there's a problem at your property management company design some way and it doesn't even have to be that like i don't know uh, sophisticated but a form where they write down all the problems and then you have one person investigate the problem so the person writing it doesn't have to solve it they're just like identifying this was a problem at our company and then once a week have somebody do a root cause analysis of why that problem occurred was the process that does it not make sense is it written funny Or do the processes not work well together? Or is someone not well-trained? Or is this like an automation issue or there's like a glitch in the system? What is the root cause of this problem? And then when we retrain or we rewrite or we reorganize the procedures, that's what's going to lead to these predictable outcomes. But we need everybody on board to be excited about that.
1: Mm. I love that, a a root cause analysis uh, where, you know, and it can be, golly, what's the most grating thing in the world is, you know, having a conversation with a three-year-old when they say, hey, daddy, mommy, why does this happen? And you explain it and they say, why? And then you explain that and they say, why? And you say, but that's really what root cause analysis is, is, hey, this problem happened. Okay, why? Well, because I did this. Okay, why did you do that? Okay, well, because this happened and this happened. And okay, well, why did that? Ha- like continuing to ask why until you get back down to that core level to go, okay, think about it like a three-year-old. Uh, just keep asking why until you get to the ground level and go, here's where the problem started. Let's fix this. And all of the successive parts in the place uh, kind of come a long way. Uh, I love that. Love that.
2: I will say, because I've done this for a long time, there have to be rules to how you write these things. You can't be like, well, if Brittany weren't so mean, then we wouldn't have this issue. (laughs) So like the rules are of engagement around it have to be like, it's not personal. It's a procedural problem. Uh, Personal problems you address one-on-one with the person that you have an issue with. But these are like structural issues at the company, Um, So rules of engagement are important to this process. And then also really giving kudos when someone who wrote a problem down, whoever identified the problem, that identifying that created massive change in the business. Um, And so if that's like an award that you give once a week or a gift certificate, but some acknowledgement that you identifying this was so helpful to our organization, then we create an organization where we're also growing future leaders so that all the big changes don't fall on our shoulders as the people who own the company and we're growing we're growing our people below us and if they feel like they're growing they're more likely to stay and then we can maybe go on a vacation sometime i mean The possibilities are endless if your team can really do this root cause analysis on their own and fix problems proactively and understand your organization so they can think on their feet without asking you for advice.
1: Well, let's dig in there for a second because, you know, I mean, obviously problems are inevitable. Uh, You can have the best processes in the world. Problems are going to happen, right? So you just gave one great example, but uh, creating a culture where people are willing and eager to identify and call out uh, issues and propose results oriented solutions as opposed to just complaining about, you know, how do you create a culture of problem solving? How do you create a culture where people are not just willing to call out things, but rewarded and welcomed to call? like, tell me how you've done that. Cause that, that makes all the difference. How, how did that happen in your business?
2: Well, I feel like I need to put on my nerd glasses right now because I'm going right back. I'm going right back to the processes and procedures. So if when people come to the company, they understand that we're going to work, we're going to live and die by processes and procedures. Like that's how this organization works. And that means that you have a job, you have a job description, you have procedures that you are responsible for. And we're all responsible for things. And so we can depend on each other. So it, it benefits everybody if people do their jobs well. And there's going to be accountability here. And, you know, we're going to have projects that always improve things. So, um, you know, no one gets in trouble for making a mistake, but we get in trouble for covering them up because when there are problems, we have to fix them. So I think it's these little conversations about, We all want predictable outcomes. We all want stressless jobs that we enjoy coming to. And it comes down to that predictability and following the procedure and, you know, doing our part so that we don't harm other people. Because if I don't do my part, then I'm putting it on my coworker Mm -hmm. and just having that collaborative environment where we're working together and everybody wins if the system succeeds. It's, it comes from, The desire of the leaders to really embrace process and procedure and not just writing them because I, I mean, I only know this stuff because I made every mistake in the book, you know, like this is learned, you know, by putting my shingle up, I'm a property manager and I take anything with a roof on it. You know, that's how I started. Um, But we used to have an environment that wasn't very organized. And we had a Google Doc, and anybody at the company could just like write whatever they wanted, processes and Mm. procedures. And for years, we, at the beginning of the year, we'd have a strategic planning session and it would be like rewrite the processes and procedures because we never maintained them. And then we got sick of that. So, you know, we put one person in charge, they owned the document. And we just kind of grew because of the pain of not doing it the right way. But that kind of creates that culture. And then once people see how it makes their life easier, they're willing, they have the full buy in and they're drinking the Kool-Aid and they want it to stay organized.
1: So I love that because, because processes and procedures are not a, a Billy Mays kitchen appliance. You don't, you don't just set it and forget it. Right, Uh, like it it is a living, breathing document. How can property managers not just create SOPs? That's great, right? You've got your standard operating procedures, but how do you effectively keep them updated and make them an an integral part of day-to-day business process? Like, how does it become not a document that gets dusted off at strategic planning every year? Like, how does that become? Uh, one of the, the, the key threads of your organization?
2: Well, I think most organizations start with a Google document that you just like add to. And I totally get that. But as time goes on, if you don't want to live your life where at the beginning of every year you have to rewrite everything, I truly believe that one of the softwares like Sweet Process, Process Street, or some kind of process management tool is key to keeping them clean because... If someone revises it and they do a bad job, you can bring it back to where you liked it before. With just a Google document, it's hard to go back, you know, 10 renditions because someone just royally screwed it up. And there's also nesting features. If people want help writing SOPs, I actually have an ebook on aniquim.net. If you go to resources, ebooks, there's a how to write SOPs. Um, and so there are some tricks to keep them clean. But basically what I say is allow people to propose procedures, but not really change the original document unless they have some kind of credentials in your company or they're like the owner of SOPs, because it's like a closet. If you have like a whole organizational system in your closet And then you just let your teenager borrow all your clothes and then they just like throw them back wherever, (laughs) then it's just totally messy. But if you have Mm -hmm. someone who's like, no, this is the, these are the vocab words that we use at this company. These are, this is how it's organized. These, this is how the procedures are nested within the processes and they have kind of an overarching idea of how they want the structure to be organized and people can propose, but not like mess with the document. You're not going to have as much of like take all the clothes out of the closet and then have to rehang them all up. You know what I mean? Like that's a whole project.
1: I love that you just started to use the word vernacular and then you were like, "Nope, nope, that's too far in the nerd territory. I'm going <laughs> to back to that of a vocabulary. Uh, like I, I can't go too far. Down down the nerd <laughs> rabbit hole. Uh I love that. Well, I gotta let, let's pretend go from, that
2: I'm cool, Phil. Like a little tiny <laughs> bit. A little tiny bit.
1: So I mean and, and and going from nerd category to geek category, uh, Google Docs even without those softwares, Google Docs has made tremendous progress in that you can even have people who can make changes. But you can also have people whose permissions are all they can do is suggest revisions and then you can approve or deny, you know, so even using a, a, a something free like Google Docs, uh you can you can do those philosophically follow the same process. It's just a lot harder to manage than having a a software that is built for that purpose. Uh, but it, yeah. it's doable with Google Docs. It is
2: now. doable. And I think now I have it. I think you can see who revised it last. So it does have yeah. a lot more capabilities than when I was using Google Docs for um, SOPs. But um, I would say that I'm just a big fan of those softwares, kind of like one of yeah. those things like go big or go home. If you're really going to embrace a process and procedure culture, I do recommend something a little bit more sophisticated.
1: Yeah. Understood. So, well, let's talk about the, the fail point of processes and procedures. And that is the, the human component, right? Uh, that this is where it all breaks down. Uh, Cause in order for processes and procedures to work, they have to be followed, turns out. So how do you recommend enforcing standard operating procedures? How do you make sure that your team is following great that you've got the document great that you've put it in front of them and that you, how do you, how do you enforce that? How do you make that a real part?
2: Sure. Okay. So we did talk about the one person who identifies the root cause analysis and then retrains or goes into the process or procedure. So that's one way. So, So that's problems happen and we're fixing them. Another way to, so this is where the accountability comes in, and this is hard for a lot of founders, a lot of managers, but spot checking is another way where you just go into somebody's regular job and spot check that they're doing things right and have some kind of form that gives them feedback on that particular position or job, enforcing the use of their procedures. So um, another way to just do that or another way to, another way to, Call that would be like an audit, like an audit of someone's job and just go in and making sure that they're actually doing them according to the procedure. The other thing is there's a lot of interaction between tenants and our teams or owners and our teams. And so then there's call monitoring or if people are having meetings with building owners. So have them record their Zoom conversation with that owner and make sure you like the way that that sounds. And so in that form, you're going to put like, what do you want? What do you, you want that predictable outcome? So you want to write questions like, did they do the things that you want in every predictable outcome? And then rank them on it. And another way to do it, if you really want to go all in or you want to do it once a year, once a quarter is to watch the video with them and kind of coach mm-hmm. them on what it should have looked like versus what they did or how they could improve that meeting. So call monitoring. Auditing, spot checking, and then problems happened. How do we not have that happen again? Those are ways that someone in your organization could create a quality control feedback loop, and you can get those predictable outcomes that result in no screaming ladies at midnight because the <laughs> locks. <laughs> she claims that you changed the locks on.
1: <laughs> yeah. So let's let's talk about that for a second. The nebulous someone in your organization who who is that? Uh, how do you, how do you identify that person? Is that is that the CEO? Is that a manager? Is like who can do that for for an organization?
2: Well, honestly, I think a lot of people in their heads they get like super overwhelmed by this, and they're like, okay, so I guess you're telling me I need to hire a PhD from Harvard, you know, someone who went to business school. I need a. a Real business guru to do this, but my experience is that's not the case. But there are two components of this. This is, there's designing this process for your processes, if you will, like this feedback loop, this accountability project. So someone has to design your accountability program and then somebody has to execute it. Those could be two different people. So you could say, I just don't need any more scream, screaming people. I'm done with that. And I'm just going to make that my quarterly goal as the owner of the company to design this feedback loop, to design this accountability program. And, and it does take a higher level of knowledge to design the program based on where your pain points are. But once you design it, it's just somebody who's executing it. And so if you have a process to hold people accountable to your processes, Really, even an entry-level person can do that. So in my organization, we do virtual assistants and we have salespeople who do that job. And everybody knows salespeople tend to not be very detail-oriented and they might be really good in front of a, a prospect, but then writing notes in the system and making sure that the operation has what they need to fulfill that sale in a, in a great way. Sometimes can be they're they're like not that good at that part of the process. So every Monday, my executive assistant audits the sales process and makes sure that they're doing the process so that it's a predictable outcome. And, and it's just part of my executive assistant's role. One thing I do recommend is whoever you have doing this. Make sure that they report to you as the owner, because things can get really tricky and political if they are like, you know, there's always a, a big conflict between sales and operations. So if you have this p- person under operations, then, it is, you know, maybe they're easy on operations, but they're hard on sales, and it can mm-hmm. create a political environment a culture that you weren't wanting. So I do think having that person report to people at the top is helpful to get the outcome that you're looking for and to... To get the honesty that you're looking for to make your organization as good as possible, like as good as it could be.
1: If your processes have processes, you might be a process <laughs> nerd. I'm just saying, like when, when you have processes for your processes, uh, that's that that's a different level. Uh,
2: I don't think people talk about that. That's where I think our industry, though, really gets it wrong is that we just don't talk about the process for the process. And then, and then everyone's like exhausted and we don't see... Then we go to another conference and they're like, write your SOPs. And we're like, yeah, but was that really helpful? Like I did that project last year and my, you know, June and July looked exactly the same. And then you go into strategic planning and you're like, I don't even want to try. So I really think that that's the gold nugget that people aren't doing. And that's why they're getting frustrated and not seeing the momentum that they want to with their businesses. Yeah. it's that accountability piece
1: and, and so we 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 talk a little bit about you know who who can do that and 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 I love the way that you you tied that in but tell me about the the qualities of as you look for that person in your organization or as you make a posting for a VA or like what are you looking for like the most successful hires or placements are the people that you you have the end result in mind you know who you're going to find when you find them who are you looking for, like in your organization or in the the ether out there of all the potential candidates? What am I looking for when I'm looking for somebody who's going to manage my processes for me?
2: They can't be too passive, OK, because mm. they're going to have to go in and be like, no, seriously, this is an issue, you know, and sometimes it takes a little bit of a no, really, no, no I mean, I mean, I mean, this like this is happening and so a really passive personality isn't going to be able to have the impact that you're looking for in this role. So I think that that's a really important component. And then someone who's very organ, like their brain is organized. So, and this is why I think a lot of our businesses, a lot of us who run property management companies might have ADD or something like that. And so it can the just writing the processes seems super overwhelming because we're like my brain doesn't work in this linear fashion. So you want someone in this role who thinks extremely linearly. Like they when they were in school, they were writing outlines to study for their science test. Those are the people who are going to be able to write really good processes and procedures. So you're looking for mm. probably a high detail orientation or someone who's just very methodical in their work and has confidence enough to kind of hold people accountable or ask that second tier question that's going to get the result you
1: want. So you've got your processes for your processes. You've got your people. How do you tie this to success and failure in positions? Uh, Not just for your process manager, but for all like in in your company is this part of like performance reviews uh do you do you go back into performance reviews when somebody fails to follow a, a a a process is that on their record uh so to speak that you come back up at their annual review or quarterly review or however like how do you tie in job descriptions and specific procedures in evaluating success and, and failure With your team.
2: Okay. Well, let me tell you a story first, and then then we'll talk about that. So, story time with
1: Gwen. I'm in.
2: Before we were good at processes and procedures, there was a person that worked at my property management company. Let's call her Bethany. It's not a real name, but so Bethany worked in the front office, and I would walk into the business that I owned and I'd be like, Hey, Bethany, what's up? Good morning. And she would literally sneer at me, sneer at me, like, No, hello not even, she didn't even pretend to like me or even give me any respect whatsoever. But why did I tolerate this behavior? Because I didn't really know what Bethany did. I mean, I kind of knew what she did, but not enough to fire her and figure it out in July. So I just like put up with this terrible behavior, this horrible environment at the company that my husband and I started and owned. Like, that's crazy town. But I know a lot of people feel the same way, that you can't fire someone who has a terrible attitude that's completely toxic to your culture because we don't have processes and procedures. And if they left, we don't know what they actually do. So what processes and procedures do is actually get rid of that toxicity in our environment. And then another problem that happens at a lot of small businesses is people complain that things aren't fair. Right. Oh, you're hard on these people, but you're easy on these people. And that's nepotism, or you just like women more. Or you just like this person more. And, and you have all this drama because of people's perceptions. But if we just go facts, Jack, here's the job. It's all written down. This is the training manual. When we had a problem, I retrained you. I don't understand why you can't get this job done. Like when there's accountability in an organization. Those internal toxic things go away. So not only do you not have tenants screaming at you, stressing everyone else out, or Monday hell, where actually it turns into Sunday scaries, all of that is gone. But then any toxic person is, is identified because... The, it's written down and we know what they do. And you're never hostage to some horrible employee who treats you like garbage, where you come in and they just sneer at you. Like all of this goes away when we're just process procedure, no drama organization.
1: And I love that because it, it really does take it off of the personality. Like it, it, it's not about, well, I like you, I don't like you it's much more measurable. It's much more objective. This is the process. This is the procedure. Are you following it? Are you not? Where are you falling short? Like it it kind of takes some of the personal element out of it and it goes, it, it has nothing to do with whether or not I like you. It has to do with whether or not you're doing what's expected of you. Here's what was stated to be expected of you. Here's what you did instead. This is why we have a problem.
2: Exactly. <laughs> I and I, even when we're listening to calls and let's say someone does everything technically okay, but their attitude is rude to the client, you know, whoever they're talking to. And I remember a specific call like this where sure she said the things that we kind of trained her on. But once we had a document that was like, our expectation is that you're polite. Our expectation is you're respectful to, to everybody that's on the calls and that you answer with a smile. So it's documented. So even when you're giving feedback, if it's not written down, if it's not documented, if you're not, you don't have it all organized, then you're fighting with them when you give the feedback. And then guess what happens to managers? You're already tired. Do you want to fight with somebody? Do you want to give that feedback? So then you just avoid the feedback because it's so emotional to do that. So the more that we have things organized, The more confident we are as managers, too, like you're not going to let somebody tell you that you're wrong or gaslight you into thinking that that was awesome, when it wasn't. And so it does give us confidence in the end in what we're doing and how we manage and what our expectations are.
1: So along those lines, let's talk about when we miss the mark, uh, when 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 something doesn't go, when we're not we're not not matching the expectation that's been set how do we address problems within our teams? How can we facilitate open communication uh, for effective problem resolution to ensure that problems don't persist? Like you, you uncovered the problem. You, like, what do you do from there?
2: So if you're doing a root cause analysis and you look at everything, but maybe what you're talking about is there's just a like a larger problem. Like, are you talking about like when a whole... Business unit is just not getting it right. Is that kind just of just talking, talking about when about? you
1: start to see people that are missing the mark? Like, how do you facilitate open communication? And, and I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, and, and I'm going to tell on my team a little bit. One of the things that we have a problem with is the opposite of the problem that you're describing. I, I had to have a little uh, powwow with my team the other day, not because they were sneering at each other, but I was going, hey, I need you to stop trying to be so nice to each other because we're ignoring problems that exist we hire looking for kindness like that's that's one of the things that we look for but i had to call out my team and go stop being so nice like you're so afraid to hurt each other's feelings that you won't call out problems that you see because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or you don't want them to feel uh, attacked or cornered, how do you facilitate, whether it's somebody who is passive aggressive or aggressive aggressive, <laughs> as was the case <laughs> in your, uh, or someone who's too nice, but how do you facilitate an environment where good open communication happens? People are receptive to feedback uh, and that feedback leads to improved results.
2: I, I totally know what you're talking about, where there's like an elephant in the room like something is like mm. really not working and no one wants to talk about it. That's a huge problem at a lot of organizations and no one wants to be mean. And people do. um, I see it a lot with virtual assistants where it would take that, you know, setting up a, maybe a quick zoom call. And it's easy just to not give the feedback because it's not like they're at the water cooler. So you just avoid it because you hate conflict. I mean, Who likes conflict? It's, it's so hard on a lot of people. Well, here's what I would say is if you hate conflict and you have good processes and procedures, you could hide behind the processes and procedures. So it's like the procedure is telling you you're wrong. I'm not telling you you're wrong. So, you know, shame is, shame is you are wrong. And the opposite of shame is like, you just did a bad thing, you know? So, so when we're, when we have these documents, and we know what you're supposed to do, and they know what they're supposed to do. When you give feedback and you're like, look right over here, it's not personal. So sometimes we can give our really nice managers that do so do such a good job with the owners, do such a good job with the vendors, do such a good job with the tenants, like those golden people, but they just struggle with managing anyone or giving any feedback. We can give them this document that lets them continue to be kind as we work with them on maybe a little bit more direct of a delivery. So we have time to work on that. but They still have what they need in their arsenal to give the needed feedback so that we get the results we want. And also when we're results focused, we're not mad at anybody. We're just like, as a team, we want these results because all of us enjoy our jobs more. And so you can also make it very team oriented. Our end goal is no yelling from the tenants. No, no yelling, no drama. That's our end goal because I want you and you and you to like your job, love coming here and not be sad on Sunday night. And so the best way we can do this is if we if we work together on making sure this organization runs like a well-oiled machine. So I think that, it, and if we're really saying like, good job, here's a gift certificate to Jimmy John's because you gave us the best negative feedback that we were able to use to make the business better, then, then it transforms it instead of telling on each other to problem solving.
1: You know, when we talk about with our team, the absence of feedback is not love. Like that, that's not a way to care about somebody. Like letting someone wander around doing things wrong, not even knowing that, that they're doing it wrong or that people are, are, are disappointed in their results or their outcomes. That's not kindness. Uh, it, it's the opposite of kindness. And so one, you have to say it from a place of love that, that is not, well, I'm coming to you because I'm angry because you're not getting it done. And that's a, in, impacting me, but a, I'm coming to you because I want to see you get better. Uh, and I want to give you this feedback and I, I'm, I'm for you. I'm with you. And two, you have to trust your team. You have to trust them to be able to accept that. And you not giving them that feedback says that you don't trust them to hear that feedback. Uh, and that's also not a, a form of kindness. Uh, so no, you've got you've to got care to. enough about them to give them that feedback and to, to trust them to receive that feedback and implement it well.
2: Oh, and I made that. I like to be liked. I'm like an extrovert. And it's been a very hard leadership struggle for me to give clear feedback. But I did have someone at our property management company who I would do. They say this in a different way. I'm going to say it in the professional way. The crap sandwich, right? Where you give like positive feedback, then you say the thing that you actually wanted to say, right? The negative thing. And then you put a nice little bow on it at the end. But I love you and you're great and it's going to be fine. Well, this person was an optimist. So they only saw the the bread part of my crap sandwich, not right. the not the crap part. And so when I fired her, because it was just not working out and we kept doing the accountability, but I wasn't being direct enough. And I was doing it for me, for my own ego, so that I Mm. was liked, not for her. And she was super surprised that she was being fired. And you
1: said two nice things and one not nice thing. How do I get fired when you got two good things and one bad thing? I'm clearly doing two things well. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: I've never forgotten about her because I really did her a disservice because she was shocked when she got fired. And people Mm. really shouldn't be shocked. When we fire them. That is that is a a key indicator that we are not managing well. And clarity truly is kindness at work. And it is a hard lesson. I think a lot of managers have to learn. But being really clear about what's acceptable and what isn't, and what winning looks like and what not winning looks like. Mm. And if we're clear on those things, then they know where the goalpost is. And if they're motivated, they can get there. And if they're not motivated, we're not impacting the rest of our team with their incompetence.
1: Okay, so you say you're a person who likes to be liked, uh, and I get that. Yes, uh, I and do. I'm going to help you with that because nobody likes the person who's smarter and better than them. So I'm going to humanize you here for a minute. I want you to I want you to go with me for a minute, uh, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, before we go, I want you to tell one story of Something where your processes just completely blew up. Like help us all feel better about our messes and the great Gwen Aspen. Like tell tell me a, a a failure. Uh where where has it gone wrong for you? Uh help help us all feel better about ourselves.
2: Okay. Well, should I go dark? Like how, I mean, I have a, I have I mean, a pretty rough one. Are we ready for that? Can we handle that. Oh,
1: let's go. I, I, I want authentic Gwen right here. Okay. That's what we want. Let's, let, let's take it there.
2: Okay. So this, this is one of the worst things that happened in my career or in my personal life, but we had a horrible loss at our business where we had a gas explosion that killed an employee and it's very traumatic. It was horrible Uh, and it was very hard for me to recover from it too. I, I went to, you know, I went to a therapist. I really, this was just, it was just personally and professionally devastating. It's an important, it's an important discussion though. And I feel compelled to share the story because I hope that other people's lives can be saved because gas leaks truly are serious. So what happened with our processes is we had, I was listening to calls, call monitoring, and um, I heard a call come in from someone who is clearly mentally challenged. And our process at the time was that the agent who took the call gave the number for the gas company when someone said, I think I smell gas. So he followed the process he gave the phone number and said, call the gas company. Here's the number. Well, I hear this and I'm like, oh my gosh, this person is mentally not capable or not confident enough to call the gas company. So I get on the phone with that tenant. I'm like, hi, hey, did you call the gas company? And they're like, oh no, it's a little me. It's probably nothing. And I was like, well, let's three-way call. And I called with them the gas company. And that changed our process. I was like, oh my gosh, anytime someone says, I smell gas, we're three way calling. We're going to own the outcome here. We're going to make sure that gas company arrives. So we rewrote the process. I had a whole training on it. And we really tried to get everybody to run all the calls from the tenants through our phone system, not through their personal cell phones, so that our processes could be used. Well, it didn't happen, you know. Human nature. You have a tenant that was in a, a move out, an eviction, and there are so many details to this that are important, but that there are so many small things that led to this terrible gas explosion. But ultimately, this person was talking directly to the tenant, and this gas thing got missed, and it resulted in a death. So even when we are really strong on our processes and procedures. Even when we try to do everything right, things go wrong. But the only way, the only way that I've been able to move forward in my life after this is knowing that we truly tried. If I had had terrible processes and procedures, if I hadn't trained my people effectively I think it would have been a lot, and it was still hard, but I don't know that I would have been able to recover from that instance. I don't want anyone else to carry that weight. I don't want other people to struggle. But in property management, we have some really serious things that we deal with with housing and lives. And the processes and procedures help us make sure that people stay safe. When they can, and even when we're at our best, things still can go wrong. So, I don't know. That's kind of a sad way to end the, the podcast, but it's important for me to tell that story because hopefully it can save somebody else's life.
1: It is. And that's, that's sad and hard and heavy. Uh, and not, not where I thought we might go uh, when I asked the question, but I, I'm so grateful uh, for you sharing that story uh, and, and being vulnerable, uh, to tell that because we forget to the positive and the negative, the impact that processes and procedures can have. And we've, we've kind of covered both ends of that spectrum in this conversation, the positive of, of creating a drama free, uh, self-confidence inducing environment where people can thrive and be them best sell their best selves. And, uh, now we've bookended that, uh, with, really tragic things that can go wrong in this industry when we don't have systems and processes, when we don't follow those systems and processes. And both of those are very real things. Well, Gwen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your expertise uh, and just allowing us uh, to, to learn from your lived experiences and benefit from your successes and failures. Uh, anything else that you want to share with us as as we part today
2: no i just i love this topic as you can tell it's very personal to me i want people to to thrive in their businesses if there's any way that i can be of support to anyone listening um i'm sure my contact information and we'll put a link to the process and procedure documents uh, the ebooks that that we've written um, but yeah, I'd love to be a resource for people if they need any help in this topic. And thank you, Phil, for such a, a nerdy, but I hope <laughs> fun conversation in general about how we can run our businesses better and make sure that we make our um, businesses places where our employees can thrive and like their jobs and stay for the long term and, and grow.
1: Well, I, I long ago abandoned any notion of trying to pretend to have a facsimile <laughs> of cool uh so I thrive in nerdy discussions these are uh these are the things I live for so well thank you guys for taking time to join us and uh spend this time uh investing in yourself and in your own business and I hope that uh as you have listened to Gwen unpack some of the things that uh she has lived and learned from that You have found nuggets that will impact your business. And importantly, that you're not only to take away from this as an academic uh, conversation, but that you're able to implement. Uh, Because here we are uh, at this critical season of the property management calendar, the implementation season, the improvement season. Go and take, investigate what went wrong, what needs to be better. Build processes, build procedures, put that into your business. And may next chaos season be imminently better than this chaos season. Thanks. We'll look forward to seeing you on the next Triple Win Podcast.
0: And that wraps up another episode of the Triple Win Property Management Podcast. Thank you for pressing play. We hope you've gained valuable insights and inspiration.
3: The Triple Win Property Management Podcast is proudly produced and distributed by Second Nature, where we believe in a triple win, building winning experiences for your residents, investors, and your teams with the only fully managed resident benefits package. Visit rbp.secondnature.com to learn more and talk to an RBP expert in your area.
0: If you have any questions, comments, or want to weigh in on the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Email triplewin at secondnature.com. That's triplewin at secondnature.com.
3: Stay connected with us beyond the podcast. Visit our website at rbp.secondnature.com to stay updated with upcoming property management events and articles.
0: And don't forget, you can keep the
3: conversation going in the Triple Win Property Management Facebook group.
0: It's exclusively for property managers.
3: To receive even more valuable insights and updates, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link to that and much more in the show notes. On behalf of the Triple Win community, this is Laura Mack thanking you for tuning in. And on behalf of Second Nature, this is Carol Housel. Check back soon for another exciting episode.
0: Until then, keep striving for that triple win.